Well, hello there, everybody. My name is Chris Kimston. If we haven't met, I am the young adult and missions minister here at Hope Des Moines. Uh, whether or if this is your the way that you f- usually find yourself on Sunday, that's a weird way to say that. Um, <laughs> Rather, whether or not you usually find yourself here uh, for a regular worship service or whether this is your first time, maybe this is a tradition that you have uh, to come out to Ash Wednesday service. Uh, maybe you were at one of our Christmas Eve services at Wells Fargo and you know Easter is coming, so maybe we could check this out. Uh, whatever that is, we're very glad that you made your way here tonight. And if you're new to church, you might be asking yourself, why is there a church service On a Wednesday night in the middle of February, why would there be any reason for that at all? And you might be thinking to yourself, uh, have I missed all of the other Valentine's Day services uh, throughout life? Uh, It's not always on Valentine's Day. It's actually, so it's Valentine's Day. It's Ash Wednesday. It's also our worship leader, Jed's birthday. Yeah, there you go. There are plenty of things to celebrate. Uh, And if you did grow up around uh, Lent, uh, you might know, or if you grew up around Easter and around church, you might know this word Lent. John alluded to it earlier. Lent is the season leading up to Easter, much like for Christmas, if you hear the word Advent, that's just the season leading up to Christmas. Christmas is a little bit easier to understand because it's always on the 25th of December, but um, you always have to consult uh, like an online source to figure out what, uh, when Easter is going to be any given year. But because you sacrificed your time and energy for this special service this evening, uh, you can leave having learned one thing because I'm about to tell you how you determine which day Easter will be any given year. This is honest to goodness the real thing. I looked it up. It's on Wikipedia. Don't worry. <laughs> Easter day is, are you ready? It's the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs next after the vernal equinox. I'll repeat it one more time. Yeah, yep. So there's the vernal equinox, and then so it's the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs next to that equinox. There, there you go. You have learned a ton of things. Yeah, it's very exciting. It is 2018, and yes, that is how we figure out what Easter is. So you could do that math each year, or you could do what I do and stand in a room of your house and go, Alexa, what day is Easter this year? And Ash Wednesday then, if you back up from then from the calendar from where Easter is, Ash Wednesday is 46 days before uh, Easter, 40 non-fasting days as they call them, meaning any other day that's not Sunday. So 46 days before then and you find Ash Wednesday. And if you grew up around church, you might know this is the season where people typically give things up. Uh, usually it's something that you like. If you really like something, um, you, you give it up as a sacrifice. You like it and or you do way too much of it. Often abstaining from whatever you're doing has some sort of health benefit. Uh, the, so maybe for you it's Skittles, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's swearing, maybe it's alcohol. Uh, there are a ton of different things that you could give up. And what ends up happening is it kind of turns into some sort of physical skills challenge. Uh, it, it ends up being your will versus this uh, temptation of whatever you've given up. You versus the Snickers bar. And there's often not necessarily a super obvious spiritual connection to giving up Uh, whatever it is uh, for Christmas, or I'm sorry, for Easter, leading up to Easter. Um, But if you were to ask somebody, hey, why are you giving this up for Lent? They might say, 
for, for God, I guess. But really, uh, the, the, the tie-in to the Bible is in Scripture, it says that Jesus uh, was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So leading up to Easter, um, which is the uh, celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, we give up things for those 40 days those amount, that, during that amount of time. And please hear me now, giving up vices and living a healthier life is always a good thing. But the invitation today for us here in this place now is to perhaps, even on you know a Wednesday evening in the middle of February, see Ash Wednesday and see Lent a little bit differently. The Bible passage that we uh, that uh, Chris read for us earlier um, is about John the Baptist. The guy, for a lack of better term, was. He was weird. He, he did weird things. He wore weird things. Places in the Bible actually say that he was Jesus' cousin. Uh, he wore weird clothes. The Bible says that he wore like a cloak of camel's fur. I don't know if you've ever seen or petted a camel before, but I guarantee you the thing you didn't say was make my clothes out of that. He ate weird things. It said he ate locusts with wild honey. The wild honey part sounds pretty okay. But the locust thing, maybe not so much. Maybe not your favorite snack food. And he stood around in the weird parts of town and dunked people in water, which is a weirder thing to do back then even more than it is today. Because baptism is a big part of uh, church culture and is so prevalent in our modern American culture that maybe even if you uh, aren't familiar with the church, you are at least generally familiar with what baptism is. And he was named after those baptisms that he did. He was John the Baptist. But my guess is, for most of us, the thing that is weirdest or most concerning, perhaps, about what was read for us in the scripture reading was not what he wore, the weird food he ate, or any of the eccentricities that he had. He says a word that I think, and fairly, deserves a trigger warning for a lot of people. He says this word, repent. Now, Everybody say the word repent. That feels really weird for a lot of us in here. It's, it feel like you, it, it's a kind of unsettled feeling. And the reason that it's an unsettled feeling is because when you hear the word repent, you think of this guy. This guy. A lot of us have seen pictures like that. We're going to call him bullhorn guy. We have all had varying degrees of familiarity with somebody like bullhorn guy. Um, my wife ran the Twin Cities Marathon this last year in October, uh, a week before we moved down here to Des Moines. We were there. It was a miserable morning because it was like cold, like way colder than October should be at that time. And it was raining, so like people were taking like shelter under anything that they could. And it was getting to be the time when everybody needed to make their way towards the starting line. So people are like coming out and it's cold and people are already getting wet. But we were making sure, you know, she was like stretched out and had all the stuff she needed. And there was this gentleman there who I don't believe he was running the race. It would have been difficult given the circumstances that you'll understand. Um, he had a black shirt on that said repent. And then he had a bullhorn, but he also like had this belt that had speakers around it as well. And then he, he had a backpack on that had like this frame on the back of it that had like all of these Bible verses that went up like a couple feet above his head. And he had worked himself up into a froth and was just like screaming things, a lot of things I can't say in this very polite um, setting. He was saying a lot of things about people of different races, orientations, denominations, th- like awful things. And people 
God bless him, we're just trying to ignore this human being because it was just constant. Like, I don't know when he took a breath. And here's somebody trying to articulate some sort of um, interpretation he had of the Bible and nobody wanted anything to do with it. And the reason that I tell you this story is there was a moment when um, whatever battery pack was like powering this super suit of annoyance, um, it like cut out for a second and all of a sudden there's just constant, constant, constant and all of a sudden you could hear it for blocks and then all of a sudden there was just nothing. It was silence. And the thing I'll never forget is people around him just started to applaud <laughs> and like started to cheer. The absence of his voice was enough to like bring people to audible joy. That is what we think and associate with the word repent. Now, the word itself that's being translated into repent during our, um, during our Bible reading today is a Greek word because it's found in the, in the New Testament. The New Testament is the last little chunk of the Bible. We actually read the first three verses of it, and it's all in Greek. Uh, but the word that they're referencing is an Old Testament word, which is a Hebrew word, and it's a word that John the Baptist would have known himself. The word is teshuva. Everybody say teshuva. Yeah. So while the word repent has been taken and used by people like Bullhorn Guy and has come to represent the ugliness of legalism and extremism, you know, that ugliness of trying to transform people into this mold, this perfect Christian mold, the literal translation of this word teshuva reads a little bit differently. You see, teshuva sometimes is translated as return, but the more literal translation of the word teshuva means to turn around. It's the instruction to face a different direction. You see, many people like Bullhorn Guy or maybe even some of the churches that you might have grown up at or um, around, maybe you know, some of the, re- the people that they are the reason that you do not do the church thing anymore When they're taking this word at face value, they're actually asking you to do something different than just turn around. And it's at this point that I'll um, introduce the point that I'm inviting us to consider today, which is, it's not about where you are, it's about which direction you're facing. It's not about where you are, it's about which direction you're facing. You see, when Bullhorn Guy tells you to repent, he means that he thinks he's over here somewhere closer to God, and he wants you to be there too, uh, because he thinks you're somewhere somewhere else. And with respect to Mr. Bullhorn, Mr. Horn, that's not exactly what the true meaning of the word is, because it's not about where you are, it's about which direction you're facing. Maybe you've been at churches before or in certain communities where you had to be at a certain point in life. You had to look and sound exactly like them, like the same types of things, before they would even consider you a part of their community. They think that they'll follow every commandment, live the holiest life, check all the bright boxes, come to all the right services, memorize their memory verses, etc., whatever that happens to be, and then they will be closer to God than the rest of us. But if we're perfectly honest, we all know that we're human, right? We know that even if parts of our life are really close to where we want them to be, we all make mistakes. And so, at least in some point in life, in some places and stages, we're facing the wrong direction. 
So we're going to do a thing together, an illustration. And um, so when you go, you go to work tomorrow, the next day, or wherever you're going, and they say, oh, how is that special service? You'll say, we did something a little bit different. It's nothing weird, I promise. It's just something we're all going to do together, and it's going to be fun. All right. So if you are able and willing, I'd invite you to stand. All righty. They told me not to kick over the violin, so I won't. All right. Here we go. I'm over here now, <laughs> just in case you lost me during the process of standing up. Let's picture that I am bullhorn guy, all right? And with that, I represent the attitude that maybe we all have had at times, which is that judgmental feeling of if, I just, if things were just more like I want them to be, then the world would be better. The I know best how everything should go, that I know better than you, I'm holy, I'm more holy, and I am closer to God. Now, everybody, uh, I'd invite you physically uh, turn around, physically turn your body to face a different direction, maybe towards the back, maybe towards the sides, some other way other than facing towards me. So I'm representing bullhorn guy and all that judgmental attitude, all of those different things. Now, you're all out there now representing the attitude or experience that maybe you don't follow all of the commandments that I do. Maybe you don't follow all the rules that I do. Maybe you've made some mistakes in life. Maybe you don't know what you believe in all of this. With that, you also represent the feelings of feeling lost, feeling broken, feeling not good enough. And maybe you feel like if there is a God, you'll never be good enough to be closer to him. But remember, it's not about where you are. It's about which direction you're facing. So let's teshuva, let's repent in the true sense of the word. Everybody now, face back towards me and the cross. Here I am, representing bullhorn guy and all of those other uh, self-righteousness, the judgmentalism, all of that type of stuff. Here I am in my self-righteousness, feeling confident that I have it all together, thinking that I'm right about everything, facing off against you all, defending the cross from you all, defending against you, and there you are all, metaphorically and physically in this case, farther away than me. But here's the question between you all collectively and myself. Who can see the cross? Y'all, not myself. Even though I think that I'm closer and you're technically farther away, you are the ones that can see God. You can, uh, you can have a seat. Now you see, you could be the person that technically by some sort of measurement with rules and regulations could be the farthest back away from God and yet you could be the person who sees God more clearly than the person standing right next to it. People stand near it their entire lives, and they could still miss it. Somebody who grew up in the church, somebody who grew up around the rules, around church culture, around churchianity, around all of these different things, and guess what? They could be standing right next to it, the teachings of Jesus, their entire life, and they could still miss it because it's not about where you are. It's about which direction you're facing. So as we start this new season of Lent, 
this new series of Easter, maybe we can see some of these Lenten, these Easter practices as in a new way. Maybe we can experience them as if they were new. Because with the ashes marked on our foreheads, it isn't some sort of symbol that we get to walk around the rest of the day. Like, you make sure you make a trip to the store and like, hello, everyone. Hey, how's it going? Oh, what's this, you ask? I've been to church. Have you? That's not the point. Instead, when you see the cross on your own head or in the mirror or a cross on somebody else's head, that's a reminder. That's the reminder that we're going to evaluate and that there are areas in our lives that we need to bring back and turn back to the cross, turn back to God. Things that we give up during Lent, they, they don't win us a prize with God or magically fix us into whole, healthy people. Instead, the act of giving something up, it's the act of recognizing the ways in which we try to cope with our insecurities and our fears and our weaknesses with food or substances or bad habits. This process of following God is instead constantly reevaluating yourself and constantly turning yourself back to the cross whenever you lose sight of it, bringing all of you, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, bringing it with you into this life and turning it back to God because we only have one life. Because someday, your life, my life, at least as we understand it here on earth, will come to an end. That's not a happy thing. That's not something that we like talking about. John actually had to remind me that this was part of the sermon that we were supposed to give. I'm supposed to make people realize their own mortality. And this is difficult for me because it's not a happy thing to talk about. I wake up with this look on my face. But it's something that we all have to realize together. This practice of seeing dust on your forehead, this, this, this ash, um, one of my favorite authors puts it this way. It's a tactile reminder of our origins in the dust. If you're not from around church, um, the, the whole thing with ashes and dust is in the Bible it says that God uh, took, he formed man out of the very ground, out of the very earth, out of the very dust, and he breathed his spirit into it and created man. Adam... The first person is actually just a derivation of the word Adama, which means ground. It means dirt. He, Adam essentially means dirt man. And once Adam lost that spirit of life, once that, that breath of life that God breathed into him left, he just became another physical thing in this physical world. It's a tactile reminder of our origins in the dust. But our turning back towards God, please don't misunderstand now that we've talked about Jesus and we've talked about death. This isn't some sort of decision, some insurance for later. It's about living a full and whole life now with God in your line of vision leading you into the life that only he can. Because we know that following Jesus will change your life. And you can come however you are, wherever you are right now, and all it simply takes is saying, yeah, I'm going to turn and face a better way, the best way. But what does it mean to actually turn back towards God? You might be saying, Chris, these are really nice words that you're saying, but what does that really look like? Well, it could look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. As many of us as there are here, that could be uh, we each have our different next steps that we need to make in our lives, things that we need to quit hiding from God 
attempting to hide from God, can't hide anything from God, and take it and turn back to him. But what does it look like to, to, to shuva, to turn back? Well, maybe a couple of examples. Maybe in times of stress, you quit turning back towards that bad habit. In a time of turmoil, you quit going back to that toxic relationship. In times of just those bad days or bad circumstances, you quit the self-deprecation that say, you know what, everything's my fault and I don't deserve a good life anyway. Instead of turning towards those coping mechanisms, you do something different. You get connected into a community. You lean on people who have been there. You say a prayer, you attend a church service, you change your perspective. Because it means breaking the cycle of brokenness that keeps us in pain. It means breaking the cycle that keeps us uncertain, that cycle that keeps us broken. Whatever that looks like for you, the act of turning is seeing it. Whatever it is, and being real with it and saying, I can do this a better way. I can bring this and I can turn back towards God because it's not about where you are. It's about which direction you're facing. All it takes today is saying yes to the invitation. You don't have to change. Please don't misunderstand. You don't have to change everything about yourself today to make God love you. The point is he does already. Whatever that first little step towards wholeness is today, the invitation on Ash Wednesday is to take it. Recognize those things. Set an intention and turn back towards God. Because it's not about where you are. It's about which direction you're facing. Amen. Now, just as God calls us to turn back to him, one of the ways that we do that as a practice together is to do Holy Communion. And so now we'll transition to that, uh, to that practice in the church. So let's, I invite you to stand and we will prepare our hearts.